Lord, help us to hear your word today. Uh, Please help us to see the peace um, that David speaks about in verse 8. Amen. Well, good morning. I wonder if you've ever wondered what the Psalms sound like. I love music, so I'd love to know. They're, of course, songs, but we only have words. We don't have any of the music. Uh, But today in Psalm 4, at the very top, you'll notice uh, the first musical directions in the Psalter. It says, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a Psalm of David. It's interesting that stringed instruments are mentioned if we don't even have any music. From this, we can know one thing at least, that the specific instrumentation reflected the mood and progression of the psalm. But how exactly that worked, we're left to guess from the far more crucial words that are preserved in these verses. In Psalm 4, the overall mood of the lyrics is distress. Uh, It has a structure beginning with David in pain. We see a prayer of trust in the middle, uh, and it ends in peace. You can imagine it beginning quite frenetically, or, or perhaps imagine the dissonant chords played over the top. I suspect it builds throughout to the crescendo of verse 7 with praise and perhaps finishes in verse 8 with an almost lullaby-like conclusion. Uh, My hope is that as we read through the movements of Psalm 4 today, we might be transported into this situation of the psalm and be able to learn from the relief found here in this moment of distress. Uh, Music has that ability to transport it, doesn't it? I still remember sitting in my music class in high school and hearing this piece and being transported to this distressing event. It's called Pendereki Threadney for the Victims of Hiroshima. It's a hard one to remember. Um, The entire piece is played on a string orchestra. And although that's different to the instruments in our passage today, you can feel the tension and the discomfort. Using unusual techniques, they create the screens and stampedes of the streets of Hiroshima. You hear the planes until the final cacophony, which fades to an absolute deathly silence. It's not music for the faint-hearted. It transports you to the distress of warfare, to the Hiroshima bombing during 1945. My hope is that as we consider Psalm 4, we're transported to see David's distress that by verse 8 we can fully understand the peace that's on offer. In Australia, we don't live in the distress of war like that song captured. But whether we like it or not, we are in a battle. The world, the flesh, and the devil are rallied against us, and we must know how to endure to the last days and make it to the end. So in this present age of distress, let's be transported by God's word to hear David's psalm. Psalm 4 finds the psalmist in amidst great distress. And there is, when there is no end to the distress, how does he find relief and endure? Let's hear. In our opening line in verse 1, we see that it's a psalm of David. David is the one in distress. Uh, the stringed instruments and the salahs throughout it show that this is a congregational psalm. Uh, understanding this helps us understand how we can apply it to ourselves. Um, But this congregational psalm is in the first person because, firstly, it's about God's anointed king, David. Uh, But more significantly, the psalm points to the anointed king who reigns forever, Jesus. We must understand how this psalm can be sung on the lips of Jesus. And as the king represents his people and we are united to Jesus through his resurrection, 
In this light, we can understand this psalm for us, but only through our representative King Jesus. The lyrics of the psalm begin bringing the, distre- uh, bringing the psalmist's distress to God. The first lyrics, read them with me. Uh, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be graceful to me and hear my prayer. Uh, the psalmist is distraught. I imagine the quiet drone of dissonant notes as he pleads for God's help. Answer me, hear my prayers, he cries. He is the God of his righteousness. Uh, In line with other parts of the psalm, he's signaling both his standing with God and the source of that standing. He is in right relationship to God, granted to him by God. And he pleads to God to show him grace on this basis. And sandwiched between these two pleas is the main call of this prayer, relief from distress. Uh, The psalmist is remembering uh, in this line God's past faithfulness when he has previously given him relief and calling for God again to be gracious and answer his plea. Uh, Desperate times don't call for desperate measures. No, they call for dependable measures. So the psalmist calls on the Lord who is dependable, and he's been faithful in the past to deliver him, and so in these desperate times, uh, calls on him. What an important attitude. First and foremost, in our distress, we must depend on our faithful God and cry out in prayer. The prayer begins in verse 2. The prayer section of Psalm 4 can be broken into three paired verses, each with a comment or question coupled with a response. The first pair is a warning to God's enemies, or to the psalmist's enemies, sorry. The second is a warning for God's people, and the third a praise to God. Each paired verse is the reason to trust in the Lord during distress. The first of which is David being set apart. Uh, see in verse 2, he says, "How, uh, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? This immediately sets out the source of distress. Those around David shun the psalmist, loving vain words and lies. His honor is turned into shame, and he finds himself dishonored because of lies. Notice the salah here. I suspect it's a moment to pause in the psalm and consider those words. The injustice here, and the plead for the men to consider their actions. But there's a turnaround here and the answer in this, at the Salah in verse 3. Anguish turns into warning for the enemies. And they should be warned. But no, he says, to the, he says to those who love vain words, the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. In this distress, the psalmist can trust that he is God's. God has set the godly apart as his very own, separate from the rest of the world, And we too are God's special possession set apart because in Christ we too can sing these words. Our relationship with God is special and personal. We are one of God's special possessions like the finest cutlery, not the rest for daily use. We are cherished and special. Now the psalmist asks the men in verse 2 how long, but contrasted in verse 3, God listens to him even though the people around him don't. God listens to his special possession. Men around him keep ignoring him and chasing after lies, but God hears the true cries of the innocent and answers his servant. Uh, 
Of course, this being a psalm of God's anointed king, King David, we see Jesus even more experience this kind of persecution as the truly godly one who trusted in his father. Jesus is God's promised anointed king who reigns forever. And in in this psalm, can you hear, particularly in verse 2 and 3, the somber melody at the trial of Jesus? Uh, After Pilate asserts Jesus' righteousness, his innocence at his trial, the people cry out for lies. Uh, Turn with me to Luke chapter 23 quickly, in verse 18. Verse 18 says, But they cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who was thrown into prison for insurrection that started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify, crucify him. There is no doubt that Jesus was innocent, yet people cried, Crucify, crucify him. And Jesus endured the shame of the cross the Son of God, the one set apart from the rest, the man Jesus Christ endured the shame of the cross. Jesus ultimately trusted in God and calls out later in Luke 23 as he dies, verse 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We know that Jesus was heard when he said these words, although his honor was not restored at that moment. It was restored in his resurrection as he's exalted by God to, in his right, to his right hand. You and I, too, are trusting in Jesus for our shame to be turned to honor. See, if they crucified our king, how do you think they're going to treat us? We care for the truth, that Jesus is the Lord and that we need to submit to him, but the world chase after lies and vain words. We are fundamentally in opposition. And so... Jesus promised that if they crucified him, we too should expect like. Like Jesus, we might die, we might endure suffering to the point of death. But the Lord can and may deliver us now, yet we're not promised deliverance now. James was not delivered, neither was Stephen. But we are set apart as God's special possession, and we know that he will deliver us from death because we're looking forward to a resurrection with Christ. If we trust in Jesus and depend on his death and resurrection, we have no need to be afraid. As we humble ourselves and depend on Jesus, we will be exalted in that last day, even if we endure horrific shame now. And so we can trust in God during our distress. We are his special people adopted into his family, and we can trust that he will hear us and deliver us. Now, as we move on to the second section, it may be that we're feeling angry. Uh, Injustice and evil in the world elicit anger, don't they? Yet in verse 4 and 5, we have a warning for God's people. Uh, This verse is often to be uh, directed at opponents, the ones in verse 2. However, the letter of Ephesians doesn't use it in this context. Rather, it's directed to us, uh, to those who are already set apart as God's own. So not only does Paul indicate this, uh, it would be us. Who is angry in this passage and on their bed? Well, it's God's anointed king, the representative king. Who needs to trust in the Lord during distress? Well, it's God's anointed king. It's David through whom, uh, through Jesus, this is also about us. And if the last section was a cry uh, to the people of the world for their evil, 
the psalm then turns to warn us to speak righteously and not to sin. In distress, it can be all easy, all too easy to turn to sin, can't it? The second line seems to explain what it looks like. Ponder in your own hearts and on your bed and be silent. Uh, the pondering is speaking inside your own heart. These words are internal, not bubbling out, but just rather sitting there in our beds in silence. Uh, in moments of injustice, how do you react? Hearing of about horrific abuse uh, should make us angry. Uh, seeing people killed uh, should make us angry. There is right, mo- uh, right anger in moments of injustice, aren't there? Uh, but there are sinful ways to express that anger, even if the anger is righteous. Our anger can be disproportionate, far greater than the object deserves. We can turn our anger into vigilante justice, taking it into our own hands and forsaking just procedures and our rulers. Particularly in Psalm 4, the temptation is to forsake God and take it into your own hands, This is a moment where anger might appear justified. Uh, We can be impatient at the resolution of justice, or even we can lose control. Uh, Sometimes that might look violent, raising fists, uh, or often it looks like loosing our tongue. We need to be reminded to be angry and do not sin. Don't let your anger dictate you like a child. Instead, pause. The Salah here, I suspect, gives those singing the psalm a moment to reflect on anger and not sin. Uh, Just like the line suggests, ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent. It then turns this to the answer in the next verse. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. It's God who is judge. He's in control, the one we can trust. Offer right sacrifices is to worship God, to live in appropriate relationship to him, and he will give safety and justice. Of course, Jesus had every right to be angry at the injustice of the cross. He had no right to hang there. Yet the Lord is patient in delaying the judgment that we deserve. Judgment will come and justice will be done. Those who love lies and vain words, Jesus will destroy them, But we should not take justice into our own hands. No, a far better judge who will perfectly and proportionately and fairly, he will judge those who reject the Son. And we should ponder on in in our hearts and be silent, serving the Lord and trust in a perfectly sovereign and just God. If you don't trust in Jesus, let me encourage you to be rescued from this. Turn to Jesus. He is a wonderful and merciful King. Submit to him and be saved. And we see that the next pair of verses, how this trust in a good judge is so different to the rest of the world. In the third and final pair, it begins with cry for many, uh, cries of the many for some good. Uh, they want blessing. They want what they think they deserve. And who will show it to them? Well, they call out to Yahweh, to God, lifting up, uh, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. They ask for the blessing of Yahweh. Now, this is a call uh, from the priestly blessing of God's people in Numbers, chapter 6, verse 22 to 26. Uh, They are asking for God's blessing of safety, peace, grace, and blessing. But for God's people, there is an immediate turn to praise. Uh, For God's true people, that is. There is no time to pause, no time for reflection. So I suspect that's why there's no salah in this pair. Um, Concluding that he already 
has the joy in his heart given by God. Much more joy than when their prayers of the many seem to be answered. While rain falls on both the just and the unjust, their joy is not found in the one who gives them their gifts. Their joy is in their stomachs, quickly digested and discarded in the morning. It's all vanity. Yet the psalmist is truly blessed by God. And his joy is in God because he personally knows the source of all blessing. The the psalmist already has the peace that they long for. And that's the reason to trust in the Lord. All blessing comes from him. If any relief in David's distress is to be found, there's only one place, in God. And so he delights in the Father who blesses him, trusting that he will keep him, be gracious to him, and give him peace. With the big crescendo of the last pair of verses in this psalm, in the prayer, I imagine, if we imagine the music for a second, I suspect it might die back here to an almost a cappella finish sung in hush lullaby-like tones, where he says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. It might sound like everything is safe now, but have a quick look with me to Psalm 3, verse 5 and 6. Uh, we see that he, this he's still sleeping there, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the threat is gone. Uh, in Psalm 3, there is still danger, but David trusts in God's sovereign control to sustain him. Now, in Psalm 4, the psalmist might be sleeping like a baby because his honor is restored, and there's no more issues. But it's more likely, because of the order of the psalms, that this image of sleeping is rather a demonstration of trust in God's safety. Uh, I would suggest that things haven't changed. There's still a situation of distress. Honor is still being turned into shame. And there is peace nonetheless because we can trust in the Lord alone. This trust, as we've seen, is based on some concrete things. Uh, The cries in verse 1 remember God's past faithfulness. He's heard his cries and been gracious before. Uh, relieving his distress. And in the prayer, we've seen that he, the godly are God's special possession in verse 3, set apart so that we can trust our Father who cares for us. Uh, and as we've seen, God is in control. So we don't have to take things into our own hands in verse 5, but trust in the Lord. And verse 6 and 7 show that God is the source of all blessing. So there's no uh, no one else worth trusting because all relief, All good comes from God. And in verse 8, the psalmist has found peace in God. Not necessarily deliverance from his situation, but trust. Now David could trust in the Lord, but who was set apart as God's own? Not ruled by anger, but trusting in the Lord and delighted always in the source of blessings. Of course, this psalm is about God's anointed King Jesus. Uh, I think a really helpful display of Jesus' peace in distress is in Mark 4. Uh, why don't you turn there with me? Uh, we're going to read, you're probably very familiar with this story. Um, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, he took him uh, with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them, Uh, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. 
And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace. Oh, sorry. Uh, Yeah, peace. Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? In the chaos of the water, beneath them death and despair of the deep awaits, but Jesus in peace both lies down and sleeps. Jesus is not worried. He is in real present danger, but he's at peace. The disciples are not so calm. They did not get it. Uh, The disciples uh, didn't realize that Jesus at his word could bring peace to the seas. He is in control. In times of distress, we might face persecution or trials. And in the struggles against the world, the flesh, and the devil, do we realize who Jesus is? Do we realize that he's in control? So do we trust in him? God's anointed king doesn't sleep in Psalm 4 because there's no danger. We aren't told that. And what we're told, that God alone makes him dwell in safety. Regardless of the chaos of this life, we can sleep in peace because we know in Jesus there is eternal safety. The question for us today is how will we endure this present age of distress? Things might seem relentless, like there's no end. Our distress might linger all the days of our lives. But Psalm 4 gives us every reason to trust in the Lord because in Jesus there is safety. We might die, we might suffer. The world, the flesh, the devil are struggling against us. We should expect our honor to be turned to shame like our king, but in peace we can both lie down in sleep because we have a sovereign God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that in your kindness uh, you have rescued us as your people uh, and that we can trust in you for our eternal safety. Please help us in distress uh, and pain in this life, in trials that may come and persecution to know that you are Lord, to trust in you, our great God and King. Amen.